Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here. By the way, the word hallelujah literally means praise the Lord. I know some of you may know that, some of you may not, but it's a Hebrew word. Hallel means praise. Uh, Yah, you may have heard of God, is referred to as Yahweh. It literally means praise the Lord. So when we say that word, we're saying praise the Lord. That's why it comes up in so many praise songs. There's an astonishing story that I came across called the White Cavalry at Bethune. Has anybody ever heard of the story of the White Cavalry at Bethune? Good. Well, uh, it happened in April of 1918, and it's chronicled in a book called The Wonder of the Word. In a book, this book came out in 1957. And here's how the story goes. It's attested to by thousands of Germans, and it was actually related in the words of a German officer. And, he, and his story goes like this. This is a, a German officer progressing in World War I on some British troops. The German officer, officer says this. We were advancing, and at the head of our troops, all of whom were in excellent spirits, singing as they swung along, thinking that the British were now defeated. And all that remained was to go forward without opposition and capture Paris. By my side was Lieutenant Fritz, and he suddenly seized hold of my arm, saying, Look, Herr Capitan, there is a large body of mounted men approaching Bethune from the other side. Why they are clad in white and are mounted on white horses, who can they be? I don't know, I replied. They may be British colonial mounted troops. He says, We halted instinctively and stood watching those white uniform-clad cavalry advancing quietly through the smoke. Their figures clearly outlined in the shining sun. We saw the shells breaking into death-dealing fragments and bursting amidst their ranks with shattering crashes which shook the ground. And this, this soon was followed by intensive machine gun fire, which raked them to and fro until it would seem impossible for anyone to survive. But the white cavalry came quietly forward at a slow trot, and not a man nor a horse fell. Resistless as the incoming tide, they advanced, and in front of them rode their leader, a fine figure of a man, by his side was a great sword, not a cavalry sword, but similar to that used by the crusaders. And his hand lay quietly holding the reins of his great white charger as it bore proudly forward. Then a terror seized me, and I found myself fleeing from that awe-inspiring body of white cavalry, frightened, terrified, all around me were masses of men, formerly an army, now a rabble, broken and afraid, all fleeing from them, but more especially from that wonderful leader on his great white charger. The German army is defeated. We have lost the war, and it's due to the white cavalry. Now, interestingly, there's another version of the story told from the British side. And they said this from the British perspective. And in that version, they said that the British side, that the, that the gunfire they were witnessing that had been directed at them 
all of a sudden was being fired upon an empty hill, and the Germans retreated. So what is that? Maybe Psalm 34, 7 explains it. It says, the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him and delivers them. But this is what some people believed about that story. They believed that God had answered the prayers of the British people and delivered England. Had he answered that prayer by sending an invisible army against those German intruders? You see, there's these beings. They're invisible for the most part, although they can manifest themselves from time to time. As a matter of fact, they could be in this room right now. We call them angels. And they're ever-present. They're beings that God has created. There are bad ones called demons. Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if both were potentially in this room right now. And see, there's a lot of these new agey type authors and teachers that talk about angels in very interesting ways. As a matter of fact, there's one author by the name of Doreen Virtue. She's appeared on CNN, Oprah, and The View. And she says this, angels make no demands on us. Rather, they wait to be summoned to help us overcome every difficulty. She says, you never have to be afraid that the angels would ever ask you to do anything that would make you feel afraid. So we live in a culture that is absolutely obsessed with the supernatural. And it comes in a number of different ways. It can come through books. It comes through movies. But we have all kinds of crazy ideas flying at us on any given day about this invisible supernatural realm that's all around us. And the question subject I want to go to today is what is the right response to angels? What is the right response to angels? We've been given revelation of angels. We know they exist. They're in the scriptures. The question is, how do you and I respond to them? The text I want to go to today will be in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Today we're going to look at verses 5 through 14 of Hebrews chapter 1. If you would, please stand with me for the reading of God's word. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will to him, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands." They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? 
Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? You may be seated. <clears throat> so last week we started a series in the book of Hebrews. And one of, the, one of the overarching themes throughout the book of Hebrews is don't stop believing, which you may have noticed Sam played very cleverly on the piano at the end of the service last week. You can't help but almost get the song in your mind, but throughout the book of Hebrews, they're being encouraged by the writer whom we're not really sure who it is. They're being encouraged to continue and to persevere in the faith. And this morning, he jumps into this theme of angels. Now, I'd like to approach this subject as, we, as you went through the text. You saw angels all through there, Christ's superiority to them. And the author makes some arguments throughout that passage. And I want to go to this passage this way. First, I want to look at Christ's relationship to the Father as being greater than that of angels. We'll talk about Christ receiving worship from the angels. We'll talk about the reign of Christ, which is where angels do not. And finally, we'll talk about Christ resting where angels can't. And then we'll talk about that question, what is the right response to angels? And in your bulletin, I believe it says, keeping angels in a biblical perspective or how do we understand how the scriptures tell us to respond to angels? It's a big subject. We're going to cover the context of the passage we just saw. And then I want to get very practically into the subject. How do we respond to angels? Frankly, there are a lot of ideas in this in evangelicalism. And I think the scriptures narrow it down much more than we may think. So let's dive in uh, to this question and I want to jump into verse 5, but, but before I do that, I want to answer the question, well, why, why are angels so important all of a sudden? Why is this writer in Hebrews taking the time uh, to go into this exposition of why Christ is so much better than angels? Why is he superior? And to answer that question, we need to go back and look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. And there it says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So here the writer is making a clear uh, presentation that the word from Christ is the final word. He's saying long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now there was a belief among the Jews that, that the fathers received the word from the prophets, and the prophets received the word from angels. As a matter of fact, it talks about this in Galatians 3.19. Why then the law? This is Paul's letter to the Galatians. It was added because of transgressions until the, the offspring should come to whom the promises had been made. Now listen to this part. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, what's interesting is if you go to the book of Exodus and you look at the giving of the law, it's not going to say anything about angels. But there was this understanding among the Jews that the angels delivered it. God was the author of it. God was given final credit for the law. However, it was delivered by angels to the prophets. So the writer now is making a contrast. The son's word, the son was superior to the prophets. However, 
The Son's also superior to those angels that he's now speaking about who gave the word, delivered the word to the prophets. So that's why we're now coming to this, this challenge, this contrast of the superiority of Christ to the angels. It's necessary to do that because they believe the word was delivered by the angels. And all through the Old Testament, you see the role of angels. Remember, this is the book of Hebrews, right? Written to the Jews. So most of the arguments the writer is going to make are going to come from the Old Testament that they were familiar with, that they bought into. So this is why we're now moving on to this, this question of the angels. This is why they're coming into play. Christ is going to be shown as superior to angels. So with that in mind, let's look at this first argument in verse 5. And he says this, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So the author is making this point that Christ's relationship to the Father is greater than that of angels. This is actually this is a quotation uh, from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm 2 is called an enthronement psalm. It speaks of the enthronement of uh, King David. And there was a belief that King David, whenever he was enthroned, was actually adopted by God. That's what that psalm is speaking about. Now we're speaking of this, this kingship of Christ. And then why the emphasis on today? And this is a reference to Christ assuming his seat at the right hand of the Father on the day that he ascended. Remember, in a moment, he was speaking to the disciples, and all of a sudden, he, he rose up into heaven. And as he was rising up into heaven, at that moment, he came and rested at the right hand of the Father. So he's assuming this role, this special role at the right hand of the Father. Now, angels are referred to oftentimes in the Scriptures as the sons of God, but there's never any one angel, there's never any one angel that's called the Son of God, like the title that Christ has here. So Christ then, unlike the angels, he enjoys this unique relationship to the Father. And I want to look at the second argument the author brings into view in verses 6 and 7, where we read, uh, And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Now, what's going on here? I mean, what's this... Uh, again, he brings his firstborn into the world. Well, this is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We sing about his first coming. Hark the herald, angels sing. I know, for some of you, it's too early. It's too early. But we sing about this coming of angels. The angels came and worshipped at the first coming of Christ. Well, again, at the second coming of Christ, he's going to come with these throngs of angels. Can you imagine what that moment is going to be like? Christ coming with the worship of millions of angels singing as he takes us into heaven to be with him. Some of us being resurrected. Maybe we'll still be here. Maybe it'll happen before the end of the service. I don't know. None of us know when this is going to happen. And here he's quoting Psalm 104. And, and these angels are going to appear and join him. And it says there in verse 7, they, it's like, like winds and flames of fire. And notice it says that God makes them. 
like winds, and he makes them like flames of fire. God has complete control over the appearance of these angels. They will appear the way he wants them to appear, in the manner that he wants them to appear. And Christ receives worship from these angels. And then in verses 8 through 12, the, the focus shifts to the reign of Christ. And we read there, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So if you recall what we just read, the role of the angels is to serve. God will make them wind and even flame. Now, it's difficult to understand. I mean, you know, we're talking about a realm that we've really not even brushed up against that much. Uh, we, we've got the stories from Scripture. From time to time, we hear a story of an angel appearing uh, in this way and that. But we have this picture of them being wind and flame. But, but look what it says of Christ in verse 8. By contrast, the Son's ministry is to rule. He's not serving as the angels do now. It says his throne is both eternal, it's never-ending, and it's not changing. This is a reference to the throne of God where Jesus now sits. And it says the scepter of uprightness. This is referring to the just rule of Christ. He'll be, he's the just ruler that we're all longing for. Can you imagine the day when there's... No more elections, where there's no more impeachment hearings, where there's no more tyrants and despots and wars, because finally there's a just king sitting on the throne. See, that's the utopia that we all want. And I believe in democracy. As a matter of fact, I don't know of a, of a better system out there than the one we have, but it is not perfect. It's not going to bring about the perfect government. We're longing for this day. No more scandals. Then in verse 9, it says he, he's, he loved righteousness, hated wickedness. And it says that he's been anointed. This is referring to an anointing that would take place in a celebration. Um, beyond his companions. Companions here is referring to those with whom Christ had a close association. Uh, the apostles and angels. He's anointed beyond them. So the reign of Christ is forever. It's just. This is speaking of a future time. And then we get to verses 10 through 12. It says, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth. You laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So there in verse 10, the Father calls the Son Lord and calls him the creator of the universe. Now again, he wasn't just the creator of the universe in eternity past. I say this again and again because I think it's so hard for us to get our minds around that when Mary was holding baby Jesus still helpless, still bloody from that birth, 
He, at that moment, was still the creator of the universe. He never lost that title. He stayed there. Creator. It speaks to also something called the immutability of, of God. Now, what does immutability mean? It just means that he is unchanging. God does not change. All of this universe, as we know it, someday is going to fade away. Jesus is going to make all things new when he returns. Now, don't just skirt over that. We're talking about galaxies, and we're talking about quasars and black holes. And as a matter of fact, there was at one point, they took the Hubble telescope, and they just turned it into uh, an area of darkness to see what was there. And they came up with what was called the deep field picture. Now, all of those bright spots you see on the screen, they're not stars. They're galaxies. And in each one of those galaxies, I looked this up, it, each one contains 100,000 million stars. So multiply, that's about 3,000. Multiply that by 100,000 million. And that's just in one section of the galaxy, okay? And what does it say? He's going to return. He'll make it all new. We're anticipating a new kingdom. He's going to roll it up like a robe. They'll be changed. They'll be different. All of this. Yeah, the world we live in. And all things. Everything was tainted by the fall. That's the power of God. He spoke it all into existence, just like that. And he's going to change it all someday. Christ's reign, he reigns where angels do not, in spans of time that extend forever. And then we get to verses 13 and 14. It says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So verse 13 comes from Psalm 110. It is the role of angels to stand and serve. It is the role of Christ at this point to sit and to rule. When Christ returns for the second time through all the various judgments that are going to take place, God the Father is going to make his enemies a footstool. At some point in the future, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christ will rest at the right hand of the Father. This is a place that angels never will. Angels will never enjoy the status that Jesus has. But then in verse 14, God reveals this, this primary purpose for angels. Uh, and and their, their purpose is ministry. They're referred to as these ministering spirits. And their job is to render service for believers. It says those who inherit salvation. Somehow, and in some ways, ways that we don't even know about, angels come to our aid. Now, I don't get overly focused on that. They do their thing. I don't know, I don't know how. Sometimes, though, it seems they manifest themselves. I came across... Uh, another story, this is a guy named John Patton. 
He was in a missionary in uh, Vanuatu. And he tells a story about some angelic care that he received in his lifetime. He said that one night, uh, wild natives surrounded his house. They were frantically dancing and jumping up and down the jungle. They were desiring to kill he and his wife. So he and his wife, they got on their knees, realizing there was no way they could protect themselves uh, against these, these were cannibals. So they started praying. And he says, soon after that, the attackers all vanished into the jungle. They were gone. Now, according to Patton's biographer, a year later, the chief of the tribe that was attacking them became a Christian. And John asked him at that time, he said, what happened that night about a year ago when your natives surrounded our little lean-to there on the sand near the beach, and all of a sudden, you just left? You just took off. And this is what the chief said. Well, because of all those men you had with you. He said, that's why we left. John said, there were no men, just myself and my wife. The chief said that they had seen men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining clothes with swords in their hands, totally circling his home. Now, did God dispatch angels to protect he and his wife? It wouldn't be the first time if that's what happened. So finally, I want to talk about this question, well, how then do we respond to angels? How do we respond to angels? As we, as we go through this, I want you to see two cautions and one encouragement. Two cautions and one encouragement. First of all, the caution, number one, beware of false doctrine. And notice I've got angels in quotes there. Beware of false doctrine from angels. Now, what does this mean? Uh, the scripture warns us about angels delivering false teaching to us. Uh, Paul says this in Galatians 1.8. He said, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Now, I think this is highly improbable. I, I don't know that this happens often. Um... But at the same time, we are warned. See, there are these evil spirits. There are demons in the world. They're fallen angels. At some point in, in time past, they chose to rebel against God. So this group of angels, previously had they been angels, fell, and now they've got a different status. They're evil, and they're referred to as demons. But they're also highly deceptive. Uh, the chief of these demons is Satan. And it says in 2 Corinthians that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And if you know the beginning of the Mormon church, you know that it started by an angel named Moroni that came and spoke to Joseph Smith and spoke to him all kinds of things contrary to what the Word of God says. Now, I don't think this is a common occurrence, um, but we are warned in Scripture about being deceived by false doctrine delivered by angelic beings. If someone says to me they heard something from an angel, I got about a thousand red flags that go flying up in the air. How did they know they were speaking to an angel? These beings lie and they deceive. 
So be careful. There are false doctrines that are delivered by angelic beings. And second of all, don't worship, pray to, or seek angels. Don't worship, pray to, or otherwise seek angels. Think about that passage we just studied for a moment in Hebrews. Clearly this author is taking time to make a very strong argument that Christ is vastly superior to angels. Why would we ever think to pray to an angel when God himself says, pray to me? We don't pray to lesser beings. They don't have the power God has. The one who is infinitely superior, an angel is a created being. And by the way, I want to I do a little exercise real quick. I just did this with some folks yesterday. Okay. Because um, anytime I start talking about Satan, I think it's important that we, we play the opposite game. So this is how it goes. I'm going to say something, and you as, a, as an audience, just tell me what the opposite is. Okay? I think we can all do that. So I'll say something, you give me the opposite. First of all, up. Down. Left. Right. North. South. God. Okay. Okay. This is why we're talking about it. Okay? God actually has... No opposite. There is no opposite force that's opposing God. Now, now, just to be clear, when I was in seminary, I answered Satan too. Don't feel bad, all right? Don't feel bad. This is why we're talking about it. Satan is not a force equal and opposite to God. God has no equal and opposite force. Satan is just a created being. He's another demon, albeit the chief of demons. So, we, we don't... Uh, we don't pray to, or rather, we don't, yeah, we don't, we don't pray uh, to angels, and we don't worship angels. Um, that comes from the lips of angels themselves, by the way. Uh, and angel worship was a problem, actually, at the church in Colossae. Uh, the book of Colossians, a letter that Paul wrote to them, warned them about angel worship. And then the book of Revelation, uh, John, the disciple John, has an encounter with an angel. And he says this. John said, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. Okay, now this is John who walked with Jesus Christ, God himself. Now receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If he was susceptible to do this, how much more are we? If we encountered one of these beings in their full glory, this would be the temptation. John said, I fell down at his feet to worship him, but the angel said to him, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And you see how well that statement from the angel harmonizes with Hebrews chapter 1. I want to go back a moment for this subject of prayer to angels. So we, we pray to God alone. And then uh, in 1 Timothy 2.5 it says, For there is one God. And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So, again, we don't pray. Uh, if we pray to angels, we're putting angels on the same level as, as God himself. And also, we don't go seeking angels. There is never a need for us to go seeking out angels. Uh, those to whom angels have appeared to were praying to God. God decided to send angels. But even in these, 
these sort of anecdotal cases that I shared with you today in World War I and even in the case of this missionary in Vanuatu, they weren't praying to angels. They weren't calling out to angels. They were praying to God, and God, in His sovereignty, decided to send angels. We never go looking for such an encounter. They appear at the will of God. I love the way Wayne Grudem says this. He says, Moreover, Scripture gives us no warrant to seek for appearances of angels to us. They manifest themselves unsought. To seek such appearances would seem to indicate an unhealthy curiosity or a desire for some kind of spectacular event rather than a love for God and devotion to His work. We set our mind on, on the Lord. We, we pray to the Lord. We worship the Lord. As much as we would like, I think, most of us are curious and would like to see some kind of a manifestation of an angel. Um, it's not something to go seeking. And I believe the reasons mentioned earlier, because spiritual beings may be friend or foe. And frankly, the even friendly ones, or rather the unfriendly ones, will disguise themselves as friendly ones. And they lie, and they deceive. It's very hard to tell one from the other. So don't seek worship. Pray to angels. Now then, positively speaking, um, I have an encouragement here. I think it would be good for us to wonder at angels. I think they are beings to be wondered about, to wonder at, rather. And I think there's three ways to do that. First of all, by respecting them. Respecting them. Uh, when you go through the Bible, you look at how men respond to angels when they encounter them. And the angel always has to say usually two words, fear not, because usually the reaction is complete terror to encounter one of these beings, especially when they're, when they're coming as one of these beings of light. Um, we haven't the foggiest what to expect when we finally see one of these beings. Shining, singing, some of them appear human-like, some of them do not. Some of them have wings, some of them do not. They've got incredible powers that we can scarcely understand. So first of all, respect them. Secondly, appreciate their ministries. Appreciate their ministries. These are God's ministers that come and help us in time of need. That's what we looked at there in verse 14 of chapter 1. Um, angels have performed incredible ministries on, on behalf of man. In the book of Daniel, they came and closed the mouths of the lions. When Christ was tempted, they came and, and ministered to him after he'd gone through a long period of fasting. Anecdotally, we hear these stories about angels stepping in. You know, I remember a, a car wreck that I had. Uh, this was back when I was living in West Virginia. I was driving on an icy road. I, I went off the side of the road, flipped the car over, and I walked away without a scratch. Was an angel involved? I don't know. I don't know. But wouldn't it be cool if there was? <laughs> Have you ever had a close call that God delivered you from? It makes you wonder. So appreciate their ministries, and then finally, admire their example. Admire their example. 
Angels through the millennia have faithfully served and obeyed God. I believe they are waiting and just as eager as we are to see these end time events play out. Some have been waiting to blow their horns just for that event. Can you imagine? Tim, as great a job as you do on the trumpet. I just, I wonder about what these angels are going to be able to do. Amen. That's right. So putting this all together, keep a biblical view of angels through caution and wonder. Keep a biblical view of angels through caution and wonder. I'm going to close. I want to share with you a testimony. This is from a young band by the name of, seems Landon Hoffman. You may remember this story. Uh, but Landon, um, a little while back, I think it was just under a year ago, he's a five-year-old boy that was grabbed at the Mall of America. And he was thrown off a balcony. It was a brutal attack out of nowhere. A man came up, grabbed him, threw him off of a balcony. He fell 40 feet. They weren't sure if he was going to live. Uh, the man who did has been put in prison. He's had 15 separate medical procedures and surgeries due to the injuries. He's had severe complications, but he's returned home. His family just made a post about his condition. And it sounds like he's made a near full recovery from what happened. And they said this about him. They said he gets out of the car every morning happy and blows kisses all the way in. They said he's a strong, happy boy. The post added that when his mommy asks him if she can look at his wound or asks how he's doing, he always says, Mom, I'm healed. You don't need to ask me anymore. And they said that Landon loves life and he loves Jesus. And this is what Landon said about what happened to him. He tells people all the time when they get hurt, don't worry, I fell off a cliff, but angels caught me, and Jesus loves me. So I'm okay, and you will be too. You know, we don't always know how or when we've been ministered to by angels. But you know what? Sometime we're heading into this Thanksgiving season. Take a moment and just thank God for whenever he may have sent angels to aid you on your behalf. Please pray with me. God, we speak of things this morning that we, we read the words on a page, Lord, but I pray that you would impress upon us. Uh, Lord, you've revealed this spiritual world to us. I pray that we would wonder at it, things, God, that, that we have to look forward to, seeing full displays of your power through these angelic beings. God, I pray that we would have a very cautious attitude when approaching the subject of the spiritual realm, invisible beings. And I pray, Lord, that we'd be encouraged to wonder at those to whom we that whom we can scarcely wonder at. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you all so much for being here today. You're dismissed.